down here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons. Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast for the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How you doing today, Adam? Pretty good. I've got six days left in my 10-day single puppy parent odyssey. Uh-huh. I'm on right now, so I'm not even halfway through it. Man, I've been feeling bad because you also had a head cold at the beginning, and what you want when you got a cold is uh, is somebody there to take care of you. What I want when I have a cold is someone to take care of the puppy. (laughs) That job fell to me. And yeah, Yeah. I mean, she really, she had the chance to take advantage of my compromised state. And she really Mm. hasn't. Like, people with puppies probably already know this, but this has been a new lesson for me. Like, the whole getting on her schedule and her getting on your schedule thing is like so crucial. And The problem that I've had personally is that I haven't had a schedule. We've been out on tour for the last month, and so there's been no way for us to get on the same footing schedule-wise. But now that we've been back and recording shows and I can can sort of get the both of us on the same schedule for every day, like it really, really helps. No kidding, man. Being uh, back from tour for a few weeks is really awesome, Uh, just in terms of like, oh man, right, like- my week isn't just like a total onslaught of <laughs> travel, sleep, wake up, do show, sleep, travel. Yeah, like for the past <laughs> month, Monday and Tuesday have been like the only days not completely fucked out. <laughs> and even then, they're totally fucked out because they're prep and work uh, ahead of us going back out on tour again. So yeah. yeah, nice to have a moment to breathe for sure. I had an episode that I edited while on an airplane. Yeah. And like when I sent it to you and Wendy for QA, like you guys both had a lot of notes. And like when I listened back to it, I was like, holy crap. I like couldn't hear half of this because I was on a loud ass airplane when I edited this. It's hard to edit on a plane. Yeah. Tough. It's not ergonomic. Ergonomic? Yeah. (laughs) Is that a a portmanteau? No, it's, uh, you know, you get your wrists all, all oh, yeah. cockeyed. You, mm-hmm. you can't, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Your solution has always been just to lean your seat back so you have that much extra room, right? How dare you? Don't even put that out into the world. It's <laughs> not how I roll. You and I have, have sort of fallen into this technology. We're like, fuck it. Let's use miles to upgrade our tickets. So, <laughs> so like we're buying basic bitch tickets on the outbound and the return. And and, and then just setting a pile yeah. of sky miles on fire to, yeah. to make it comfortable. It makes it something that I'm looking more forward to, these trips. Yeah. yeah. I have a question for you having to do with miles though, Ben. My wife uh, floated something at me that I initially took great umbrage with. But then I kind of softened toward, uh, which was she is out on her own work trip right now. And she's like, hey, how many uh, sky miles do you have? And I screenshotted my large pile of sky miles. She's like, hey, sure would be nice if I got an upgrade back home from the East Coast. And I was like, really? Would it be nice? Your work won't upgrade you, but mine will upgrade me. (laughs) <laughs> interesting how you now choose to recognize the game wow interesting yeah i mean luckily for me transferring my miles to her was something that made zero sense financially yeah and not uh <laughs> and not uh domestically right if you will <laughs> so right. it was not cause for an argument at all you had to know but kind of hard to swap them like that I think you can book a ticket for someone using your miles. I, I don't remember how it works. I, did, I, I booked my wife a uh, a trip from New York to Barcelona one time <laughs> uh-huh. on miles, and I got her I got her a lay flat all the way there, and it was a big win. It was it was when we were still uh, just boyfriend and girlfriend. Wow. And, uh, boy, oh boy, did that work out great for yours truly. <laughs> I bet. That's a great gift right there. Worth every mile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do with miles? Might as well just light them on fire. Yeah. Yeah. They're not that fungible, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they sure are. 
Boy, that's really like the word of the month, isn't it? It sure is. Uh, <laughs> well, Adam, some interesting journeys taken in today's episode of Strange New Worlds. Do you want to get right into it? Yeah, let's hit it, Ben. It's Strange New Worlds Season 1, Episode 2, Children of the Comet. I was surprised that we got a last time on at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, right? I mean, I didn't need this catch up. I'm, I'm wondering how much this is just like present day prestige television mm. orthodoxy and how much they feel like it is actually necessary. Because I didn't think that the story that they told in this episode would be any less interesting without the last time on, but- I wonder if as a creative type, you feel like your cold opens aren't so cold when you have kind of the amuse-bouche of of a last (laughs) time on, you know? Yeah, maybe that's part of it is that it just kind of eases you into, hey, remember where where things are? (laughs) I mean, because without it, try to imagine not having that last time on. You're just like smash cut to hut people. (laughs) Yeah. Hut people who are walking in the sand making a giant Starfleet badge. God damn it. Why did they do this again? (laughs) At least they had the good sense to save it for episode two. (laughs) Just keep walking, Michael. I love the costuming on these guys. We see them a little bit more later, but they look like they rolled around in really wide gauge fresh pasta. You know how fresh pasta looks (laughs) after you like flour it up and kind of zhuzh it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it looks like they're rocking. It's really cool. Both the loaf and the costumes are cool. Yeah. A shame that like this is an uncontactable pre-warp species because I would love to talk to m- these guys more. Yeah, I, I want to gather a bunch of them up and and put them in some boiling water for only like two <laughs> minutes, though. Like you really do not want to overcook these these yeah. delebs. Yeah, <laughs> you want a nice al dente deleb. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> We're back up on the ship after just moments down on the planet where Ahura's log tells us that they're looking at a planet in the Persephone system and there's a comet blowing through. Yeah. But uh, that's not all that's on her mind. She's also preoccupied with the idea of a dinner invite to the captain's cabin. Yeah, she's been told, uh, dress for the occasion, dress for the job you you want. And uh, when she hops off the turbo lift, she runs into Lieutenant Ortegas, who is rocking like joggers and a midriffy shirt showing some belly button. You said it was formal. Actually, what I said was you might want to wear your dress uniform. Are you kidding? I have a feeling that you would have worn your dress uniform anyway because you're fancy. (laughs) I also really like that this is a Happy Gilmore style ninth green at nine style prank. As a, as a haze, fairly harmless, but a, yeah. a little bit of a of a noogie here to Ahura. No lasting damage, just a, just a slight humiliation. So she doesn't have time to change. Do you think Ortegas is wearing the bare midriff as an added haze to the dress uniform, or is this what <laughs> she would have worn anyway? I don't know because, like, I get like chill ass Ortegas mm-hmm. rocking casual wear like this. I don't think it's cool to show midriff at captain's dinner. At like a work function? You're eating barbecue, Ortegas. Like <laughs> you drop a, a burnt end into the belly button. Oh, yeah. That's no good. We're doing burnt end body shots with <laughs> Lieutenant Ortegas at this barbecue. <laughs> Starfleet HR is going to be really fucking upset about what went down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Relax. That's tradition. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like, I like to hope that we're a little less uh, pearl clutchy about the way people dress mm-hmm. when they're in their off work time mm-hmm. in the 23rd century. But yeah, definitely stuck out to me. I like. I feel like you just don't see belly buttons very much in Star Trek in general. <laughs> God, that is such a not my Star Trek argument. <laughs> <laughs> like I grew up in the Deep V era, yeah, but it never went down so far that you could see belly button. All right, I grew up watching Star Trek where you could see the outline of both testicles <laughs> in a very sheer garment. Yeah. I want side boob, deep V, and balls. (laughs) But a belly button I will not brook. Right. So this will be fun for you then. It is shocking, and I think the best possible way when we finally get to Pike's quarters, to get the sense for how homey they feel. Because 
every other crew quarters and every other Star Trek has either felt like a room on a cruise ship at best mm-hmm. or a bunk on a submarine at worst. And Pike's quarters feel like the best of all worlds. Like there's wood in there, so it feels a little bit homey. It's so big. There's sections yeah. of it. There's like a, a working kitchen with appliances. People are making drinks. People are uh, hanging out by the fire pit. How big do you think the second biggest cabin is on the Enterprise compared to Pike's? <laughs> yeah, what is uh, what does number one's quarters look like? They can't be that great because number one's always hanging out at Pike's. Yeah, yeah. She's in there all the time. Yeah. She stays at Pike's. Yeah. Ahura finds herself uh, offering to help cut up vegetables to the new chief engineer, Hemmer who I uh, interpreted as just a very pale Andorian, but mm-hmm. he's apparently Enar. Right. Which is... An albino Andorian. Is that a is that a thing? Did you look it up? I did. I did look wow. it up. So he is an Andorian? Albino Andorian, also the title of the first Kevin Spacey film he ever directed, mm. uh, but no one can ever talk about it. <laughs> You know, back back in the late 90s, you know, everyone yeah. had an indie film they directed. Right. Yeah. He has some precognitive ability. He can catch a carrot that Spock throws from behind. Precogs are always pasty, huh? In science fiction. I knew you were going to ask that. I guess so, yeah. Where's the precog with like the maple syrup tan <laughs> who likes to be about town? Yeah. Yeah. Where's the... Uh... <laughs> Where's the sun-drenched precog with beachy hair and flip-flops and a cowrie shell necklace? There are no chill precogs because Hammer is intense. Yeah, he's he's intense. Another in the history of uh, sight-impaired white eye Mm -hmm. chief engineers on ships named Enterprise. Whoa. There you go. I had not put that together, but yeah. It's it's not unprecedented, Jordy. You can do it. (laughs) (laughs) Ahura shows up to this dinner party hungry, but she is not going to eat any of this hazing shit from anyone. Yeah. I like how she kind of throws it back. Yeah, that is a tricky position to be in. They like, these are my new work people. I'm on a ship with them. So if I decide to quit my job, I'm kind of fucked. You're really right about that observation though, because like many times to gain respect in these situations you are made to throw it back right or do something with it in an interesting way right but that's a fine line right like you throw it back too hard all of a sudden you're an asshole right if you don't throw it back much at all you're kind of a pushover but uh ahura i think deals with this situation quite well i think i need a drink she does she's very self-assured she's kind of nervous ahead of the party because she describes herself as somebody having some kind of difficulty moderating her her tone mm-hmm. and holding back when too much truth is not a great idea but um the party's going great pike is telling a uh, no pants nosican story we all have one of these right yeah yeah yeah, talk about the gramba on that guy. Should have seen it. <laughs> Flopping around all over the place. That guy really must have lost a, a bet playing a game of Domjot. Yeah. Pike is holding court at this L-shaped table. And I mean, I thought when I first saw the L-shape, I knew how it would be configured for socializing. Mm. But this whole dinner party is at the L-shaped table, and it's really great for this. It is. It's nice. You get some separate areas for the split-off conversations, but still everyone can turn toward. Yeah, they don't have to do that awkward like SNL dinner party scene where everybody's sitting on one side of a table. Yeah. I mean, do you think this was an idea that was born out of how it was shot primarily? I don't know. I mean, I feel like when you have the task of building the sets that you're going to be shooting an entire season of television in and hopefully many... Mm-hmm. Like you have to think a lot about what potential stuff you're going to do with it. Like we've talked a lot about in Voyager when sometimes you'll get like a whole new shot of the bridge from like an area you didn't think a camera could go. And it's right. like, wow, did they like take the lid off the bridge? <laughs> sometimes you just have to punch your way through. What I think is probably going on is they thought that this would be kind of an interesting new way to have socializing on a ship, you know? I really want an L-shaped table. Like, that's the takeaway for me. Wow. 
Wow. I'm never going to be able to have one, but no. <laughs> I'm going to need a second home for that. Everybody knows Adam Pranica will never take the L. <laughs> I never lose. There's a moment here that is uh, pretty triggering for Pike. He goes into the kitchen with Ahura and he grabs some crispy bacon out of the pan. And then the coffee maker beeps once. And then uh-huh. he asks Ahura where <laughs> she thinks she'll be in 10 years. And the combination of like that, that totally scorched skin and the beeping and the 10 years question combine to like kind of catch him in the throat in a very interesting take. Yeah. Like a take that, if I hadn't been thinking about it, might have looked like a, like, interesting that they used that take. Uh-huh. Anson Mount is such a natural actor that it almost plays, like, just him stumbling over the line, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of what, what is happening to Pike in yeah. this. It's a question that he's asked a million people, so it is like he's stumbling over the line. I'm sure you've chosen a specialty you'd like. Where do you see yourself in 10, ten years? Where do you see yourself? That question hits different now. Yeah. I mean, I hope we get the chance to talk to him again, because a a moment like this makes me wonder if as an actor, you are relying more on on the physical motivation for this or something mental, like what is actually triggering the catch in your throat in that moment. But whatever it is, it catches Una's attention and Spock's too, but it doesn't really catch Ahura's attention in the same way. To her credit, she answers the question and answers it really honestly. I guess the truth is I'm not sure I'm actually all that Starfleet. Starfleet is definitely not the only thing she has her sights set on. It may not be her her final best destiny as far as she can tell right now. I also just thought it was interesting hearing her talk about herself in this way that is like, I have an amazing gift for language that I'm not going to be falsely humble about, but I'm Mm -hmm. also not, I'm not here to brag about it either. Like she really like finds that line in between those two things. (laughs) I don't know what I'm talking about, but you know what, Ahura, when you speak 37 languages and 22 (laughs) of them are a form of Kenyan. Yeah. I don't know about that. I felt myself quite humiliated in Kenya about how limited my linguistic skills are when, like, almost everybody you meet speaks their tribal tongue and Swahili and English. Right. It's like, damn, that is fucking so impressive. Ben's gonna talk about Africa. I have, like, vacational French, enough Spanish to, like, order a chimichanga, Uh and that's it. (laughs) Do you think Ahura is kind of a precog? Because when she thinks about answering this question, I think what she sees is another 30 years of her sitting in the same fucking chair on the bridge of the Enterprise doing the same job. (laughs) That giant Bluetooth earpiece. Yeah. Yeah, they can't get her a a better earpiece after all these years. Yeah. This one is like AirPods, except for when it is supposed to like transfer between your computer and your phone. It just works. Yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? They have to make it that big so that it actually does the thing that it proposes to do on the box. I was afraid of where Ahura's story was going here because I was like, oh, man, we're we're sharing pain. It's pretty early to be sharing pain at this point. <laughs> but it wasn't too painful. She tells a story about how her, her entire family dies in a shuttle accident. But the point of her story is less about the trauma of that and more about what happens to a person when you just kind of float around in the grief after a significant moment like that. And the way she paints her journey is that she didn't really know what else to do besides Starfleet. So there she is. Yeah. She kind of, uh, she's like, well, you know, I was a super genius, so I figured I might as well do this instead. Do you think it's weird that there are so many shuttle accidents on earth? (laughs) It seems like the safest place to fly. It should be. It is not. Yeah. What do you think of uh, Pike's Pikeabilly haircut in the party? I feel like he's got party hair and he's got work hair. Yeah. He's got show hair. Yeah, he does. <laughs> it's, it's party in the front, party in the middle, party in the back. Easy as that. It's oops all party. I like it. I'm into it. I still do. I think it's really rakish and handsome. I wonder which is the version that that he more naturally has. Like what takes the effort? Right. The pikeabilly or the business pike? 
Right. Does is there like more effort put into party hair? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm loving it. There's a conversation between her and Spock after the party kind of about, you know, Starfleet being a privilege. Like, yeah, <laughs> you might want to like measure some of what you say around some of these people because a lot of them fought tooth and nail to get where they are and you kind of like waltzed into it because of your gifts. But uh, it's kind of a big deal. If it is not your path, you might consider making way for someone else who wants to walk it. It's a version of the Shelby conversation that she has with Riker in the turbo lift, right? If you can't make the big decisions, Commander, I suggest you make room for someone who can. No way. Except there's no Shelby around. Like Spock is referring to an imaginary Shelby Mm -hmm. that might want a Hurra's chair. (laughs) A thought experiment Shelby, yeah. Yeah. Damn. (laughs) You are ambitious, aren't you, Shelby? But isn't there room for people who aren't sure about what they want to do? I think so. I mean, a lot is made of like Pike never having heard a response like Ahura's. Yeah. When she flips that back in his face, like, wow, a cadet never dropped a hammer like that. Uh Uh-huh. I feel like a, a, an organization of the misfits of the utopia would have more of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. Spock also tells Ahura to maybe bear the midriff at the next party and then gestures down to his own. <laughs> Exposed belly button. <laughs> Alter top uniform he's rocking. You will notice, cadet, that I have gone with a deep V and an exposed midriff. <laughs> this is as the captain has requested. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't handle my midriff. Una and the captain are doing the dishes after the big party and debating destiny. And Pike has, you know, kind of come around on the idea that he's going to be captain, but is still somewhat fixated on the brutal end that he has seen himself meeting. Turns out knowing your future kind of takes the fun out of imagining it. And she doesn't really think that destiny works like that. I really love the detail of Pike having looked up the names of the people that he saved in that accident or the people that in some cases died in the accident. Right. And I couldn't help but wonder what is going to happen when he encounters one of them. Right. And what that'll feel like for him. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> like, like cadet first class, blah, 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 reporting for duty. And he's like, no, <laughs> that's too soon. Yeah. No! <laughs> yeah. Pike is called to the bridge for a comet problem. And uh, it's simulated by the computer as a planet killer problem instead. Doesn't matter where it hits. Nothing would survive, not even bacteria. Yeah, this is a really crazy smash cut showing what the comet is about to do. But they come up with a solution pretty quickly. All right, so the comet's going to hit this planet. It's inhabited. These people have great costumes, so we're going to try and save them. What do you say? We modify some torpedoes, send them out there. They'll attach to the comet and just kind of nudge it into a slightly different pathway. What if I told you we opened up some photon torpedoes and inside those torpedoes we inserted the Earth's best deep core drillers. (laughs) Closed the lid on those babies and then uh, nestled them into the comet so they could do their business. Mm -hmm. And uh, they all go down to the torpedo bay and uh, acapella. (laughs) (laughs) Start singing. (laughs) I love how bang, bang, bang this moment is. Like, I've got an idea. We're going to go with the idea. Shoot the torpedoes. Bang. Let's get it done, people. We've got a planet to save before breakfast. This is a great sequence here. Yeah. I like just the like dash of Hammer character development of being the grumpy mm-hmm. chief engineer. They try the thing. It does not work. The comet throws up shields and we are into our title sequence. Pretty long cold open. Clocking in around 10 minutes. Yeah. In the McLaughlin group that follows the theme, Issue one. there is a underground structure that has been revealed on the comet, but there's no life signs there. And Sam Kirk is there to advise with his xenoanthropology background. So it's a table with Sam, Singh, Spock, Ahura, and Pike. And the idea is that they're going to beam to the comet to explore it. Yeah. 
Sam does not seem to have a lot to offer in this meeting. <laughs> like, have you ever heard of a civilization that arose on comets? And he's like, first I've heard of one. And then it's just like mustache bits from then on in. Mustache. Maybe you should try one for yourself. He is not the Michael Burnham class of xenoanthropologist <laughs> at all. Isn't that? It would be funny yeah. if Spock and Pike were low key, like really disappointed in his education <laughs> just by virtue of their love of Michael Burnham. <laughs> God, it really sucks to be slumming it with this guy. Yeah. Kind of a drag. Anyways, maybe he'll uh, run into some trouble down there on on the surface. <laughs> We're two for two on episodes of Nurse Chapel being a big old flirt yeah. in uh, in prepping an away team for leaving. She's got to give them a cosmic ray hypo spray so that they won't die down on the surface there. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's also really laying it on Spock. Mr. <laughs> Spock? Now you're just toying with me. That was not my intention. <laughs> That's why it's funny. She's great. Hard not to like her whole deal. Yeah. I think because she's a civilian, she's kind of emboldened to act outside of the respect connoted to, you know, rank or whatever. <laughs> she's great. We get another of uh, Noonien Singh's like, give me all the pain. Yeah. <laughs> moments. It's just a running theme. Every episode she gets one of these. Give me something that hurts. Yeah. I don't want my pain taken away. I need my pain. I like these spacesuits, Ben. Yeah, they're with cool. The, the colorway cutout. Yeah. I kind of thought it would be fun if the four dots on the front were reflective of rank, though, mm-hmm. like pips on a uniform, but they're just they're just four dots. Yeah, that's all they are. So they head to the transporter pad, some prep about, uh, hey, there's going to be really low gravity down there. Don't fly off into space. Everybody keep your head on a swivel. Let's but- go. Isn't it strange that they go so far as to give us that dialogue, but there is nothing that happens as a result of this description? Like, I was expecting someone to go flying super far. Yeah. In less gravity, but like when Sam gets blown off of the egg, that just looks like a a standard issue jerk cable. I thought it would have been cool if they'd had like some moonwalk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's really hard to do on TV because you have to like paint out the, the ropes that you use to simulate it and... Yeah. Like, it probably costs, like, ten times as much to shoot the scene that way. Right. They beam down. Ahura sort of seems like she's not used to beaming the way she reacts to this transport. Yeah. Yeah, what's up with that? Like, she kind of braces herself when she first gets on the pad and then is, like, you know, kind of Alice in Wonderlanding about when they are on the surface of the comet. I mean, maybe this is why she wants to do nothing but bridge work and sit in the chair for her entire career, you know? She has experiences like these and she doesn't want to go anymore. Yeah. She does sort of feel in this episode like she's having, like, first day on the job kind of jitters. Like, Mm -hmm. she's being thrown into a situation where her linguistic skills are of great utility to the crew, but... Because she doesn't have the same number of reps as everyone else in just like going into unknown situations, it's a lot of like, I, I kind of wish you guys had a uh, a more seasoned officer here. Right. Sam Kirk is really like the mirror opposite of Ahura on this mission, right? Like he is brimming with confidence, so yeah. much confidence that he like walks up and touches this big egg that's glowing in the middle of this building. Yeah. Real Prometheus energy yeah. in this room that they walk into. Yeah. And the egg is uh, clearly the the focus point of this structure. And it's covered in symbols, but they haven't quite uh, tackled what these symbols could mean yet, whether they're just design or if it's code or language or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Kirk is like basically like up humping the egg, like... <laughs> <laughs> making love with the golden apple when he gets some Kirk lightning. Can't do that. And he gets shot across the room. It stops his heart. Yeah. They got to hit him with the paddles. Yeah, I like that you can defibrillate through the spacesuit. Yeah, I like that too. You put the thing from the medical tricorder on the Starfleet logo and that defibrillates? That's all you need to do. That's great. Yeah. So the good news is that the defibrillators have uh, stabilized Sam Kirk, but the bad news is that they've been cut off from the Enterprise. The shields on this comet go up and they can no longer communicate with the ship. Yeah. We're on our own. 
With the lights on on the egg and in the kind of glowing in the walls behind them, this place goes from looking like Prometheus to looking very distinct and cool. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a really interesting set. I'm, I'm wondering if, if they're using those like capture volumes where they have the screen in the background that I bet, they can yeah. put anything on because it's also like reflecting off the floor. Like there's like water on the ground and around the egg and it's just really beautiful looking. I thought the whole episode was really beautiful looking. All of the effects work was just first rate. Yeah, it's super cool. Really liked it. At this moment in time, Ben, did you think the comet was alive? Oh. Uh, like, was this enough for you to to give you that hint? Or did it just seem like a security system of some kind? I guess I was interpreting it as, like, big computer. But, um, yeah, big computer that doesn't like getting touched. Yeah. Yeah, because shields don't feel alive. Right. Like that. Yeah. And that way, it's not a Tin Man situation. Tin Man. <laughs> Right. I mean, they're they're also scanning. Like at at one point, Nunyan Singh is like, "No, there's nobody else here. We're we're all alone." Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, they can't they can't beam up. So it's kind of time for Uhura to step up and see if she can start interpreting some of the information on the surface of this egg. We learn that it's got a breathable atmosphere, and like to get confident, Uhura like tears the uh, the spacesuit in front of her midriff off. Yeah. Yeah. Like, really gives her a lot of confidence in that moment. Mm-hmm. She's like, I can do this too. Yeah. It's like the captain said. We get a little cutaway back down to the planet with the pasta people. <laughs> and uh, this is just another little moment. Like they're looking up at the at the comet in the sky. And I feel like this was just a reminder, like, hey, there are some innocent lives at stake here. Do you ever watch a scene in a movie or a TV show and just know exactly what the script description is. Like I looked at these guys and I was like, they are observing the comet warily, aren't they? Yeah. Like, and I can see that word <laughs> in the script. Ext Persephone to surface. Yeah. Day. <laughs> the fresh beat pasta people observe the comet warily. <laughs> On the ship, they are getting pretty worried about having lost contact with the away team. And uh, they want to see if they can, like, punch through the shields. The idea is, like, what if we could, like, resonate them with the phaser to dissipate the shields? Mm -hmm. Seems like a pretty good idea. I like this plan. This is a good plan. Ortega Springer's run. There seems to be a briskness with decision-making on Pike's bridge that is distinct from other captains we know. Like, it seems like on the D, like, Picard would do a good job kind of surveying the crew before making a decision and it felt like there was some space in time to think but pike thinks very quickly he likes ortegas's suggestion he goes with it like yeah he launches right in and i like that quality about him and it feels different it does yeah he feels like a good delegator too yeah on the comet we get kind of an interesting scene where the tension is released a little bit ahura is still struggling with her responsibility for getting them out of this problem. But that's not the only struggle she's dealing with. She's also the first shipper of the Spapple relationship <laughs> of Spock and Chapel. Or is it Chalk? Or is it Spockle? Mm. I kinda like Spockle the best if you're gonna yeah. if you're gonna ship them. Spapple sounds like he's gonna <laughs> fuck an apple. Yeah, that's true. I don't like that. Yeah. Yeah, I shipped this as well. It doesn't seem like Spock was picking up what Nurse Chapel was putting down, but Ahura definitely was. She speaks that language. Nurse Chapel is not my girlfriend. I know, but she was flirting with you. Ahura knows that Spock has a girlfriend too, or a wife, I guess. Yeah. Are they public? I don't know. Are things on pause? Like, is it like, are we outside the, the area code and therefore Spock is free to do as he will? More like... To pause, right? <laughs> That's always an option, too. Indeed. This banter that Spock is having between himself and Ahura seems illogical because she is the only person that can work on the problem, and they have two hours before the cosmic rays start yeah. turning them into soup inside their spacesuits. Right. Seems like maybe just let her focus, right? Yeah, I mean, this is some Counselor Spock happening here. I guess so. In a way that, that seems uh, 
little bit anachronistic, but Spock is good at this. Maybe don't take your foot off the gas on that one. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I gonna have for dinner, to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Up on the bridge, they're ready to try this phaser gambit and... Number one is like literally like lowering her finger onto the button when they get a banger dropped on them. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting banger because everybody like lurches, but they didn't lurch the camera very much. Yeah. So a mini bang, I would say. And uh, suddenly they are nose to nose with a hula hoop class starship. Yeah. The captain of this thing has got real Supreme Leader Snoke vibes, I thought. <laughs> yeah. Got a really intense goatee, though. Uh huh. Snoke never really uh, cultivated much facial hair, right? We get a lot of backstory here from this guy. He is a he's a shepherd. He's one of many shepherds, and the shepherd's job is to escort the Mohanit, which is the name he gives to the comet. Mohanit is far more than a comet. Yeah, he's a shepherd. This is his pie. The Mohanit is an ancient arbiter of life. Right. And Mohanit uses he, him pronouns. If it is his will to move, he will move. 
They take great umbrage with all of this messing around with Mohanit. Yeah. And Spike is like kind of Soto Voce, like, is this guy serious? Right. <laughs> a couple of times, like, find out how good his weapons are before I formulate an answer. But uh, it's tricky because this dude is clearly a true believer in a you know, a worldview that is somewhat incompatible with Pike's. So it's going to be tricky to reason with him. Yeah, he's got a real kind of let Mo Hanit take the wheel faith. <laughs> that is really <laughs> insane when the lives of millions of people are at stake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that Mo Hanit saves and also blows up planets bumper sticker on the back <laughs> of the starship. I thought was kind of a funny detail. That real, hey, don't ask me. I just work at the Vatican vibes <laughs> out of him. <laughs> this guy's got a lot of demands. He's like, don't touch yeah. the comet. Don't try to get your people off the comet. Don't try to change the comet's course. Stay away. Yeah, they desecrated the temple. The yeah. temple will be their tomb. Right. You got to put it like that, right? Like any form of temple desecration turns the temple into a tomb. Doesn't matter what TV or movie you're in. Yeah. So back down on the surface, Nunyan Singh looks around and she says, This place is a tomb. <laughs> or it's about to be anyways. Uh-huh. Uh, and she's also just giving Ohura a ton of guff. Like yeah. the, let's find out if you're a genius or a fucking idiot that's going to get us all killed. Right now I'd say it's pretty much a toss-up. It's really unfriendly way to interact with the one person that has a shot at saving your bacon. Sam Kirk has the easiest job here, right? Yeah, he got to spend the the whole episode napping. Yeah, this is great. This is great, but what it does is it really leaves us two people to play off of Ahura. The good cop, Spock, and the bad cop, Sing. <laughs> yeah. Spock attempts to inhabit the role of good cop by saying like, hey, look on the bright side. By catching that lightning, Kirk really made things easier for you. We know not to do that. Yeah. It's funny, like Ahura is initially put off by the pep talk. Yeah. But there's something so smothering about ironclad logic, <laughs> like like with so many folds in it, like just being dropped on top of your head that she <laughs> kind of gets with it by the end. Yeah. And I got with yeah. it too. Like Spock was convincing to me. He is convincing. I mean, like, the other thing he says basically is like, hey, you may may or may not consider yourself the ideal person for the job, but this is the job you've got right now, and you're the only person that can do it. So hopefully you are successful in decoding something here. And If you've got time to sing, you've got time to get us out of this fucking mess we're in. Yeah, and the chief of security is like, what? Are you saying something to me? That's ironic, right? Because when they realize that the thing is reacting to singing pretty soon, they're like, well, we need to harmonize to really get this thing going. And sing is the one person that won't sing. Someone help me out here. I skip music class. In a life or death situation, she does not participate in the solution to the problem. I thought that was a bad look. Yeah, it's a really bad look. The humming is the key. Mm -hmm. And up on the ship, they shazam the music that the comet is broadcasting, and the ship recognizes it as a Kenyan folk song. But which of the 23 languages, Ben? (laughs) That's my question. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I know there are 23 Kenyan languages, and all of them are very distinct. Ah. In Kenya, we have 22 native languages. Listen, you don't have to know it ahead of time. It's just that when Ahura turns around and says, hey, this is a blues riff and B, uh-huh. watch me for the changes and try to keep up, you just follow her lead. The colors are really beautiful on this set inside the comet. Yeah. And at first I was like, God, I am really loving how this looks. And the longer the singing went the more I started to feel creeping move-along-home vibes. Like, how was Star Trek going to fuck this up? Because this is a moment that Star Trek routinely does fuck up. The playing big about a thing in order to solve a problem. Yeah. But it isn't like that at all. And that's because the singing is actually really good and the colors are really beautiful and there's no dancing. (laughs) Yeah, I also like that Spock is like not great at singing, yeah. but he is trying his darndest. 
And uh, as they sing, the egg opens up and face huggers jump out and grab all of them. And that's the end of the episode. God. You were reading on Twitter this week the uh, the lost TNG comic books, the TNG alien universe comic books that we never got. Oh, yeah. God, it's so heartbreaking every time those get posted again. <laughs> how fun that would have been. Yeah, it's good stuff. Did you ever read that? Uh, I guess it was Alien 3 that was written by um, William Gibson that they turned into a con- like he wrote the script for it mm-hmm. to be the movie, but they made a comic book out of it. No. Yeah. There's like an alternative Alien 3 storyline. Is it a graphic novel like a thick boy? Yeah, it's a thick boy. Oh, geez. I'm gonna have to get that. I have a copy of it, but I haven't actually read it yet. Oh. I'm excited to. It's interesting how good the moment is when the egg breaks open. Like, they don't know what this means. They don't know what any of this means, but they sort of see it as an opportunity, right? Like, if we can sing and something happens on this comet, maybe they can sing something else yeah. and make something else happen, like the shield's lowering. Well, so they she they're saying, like, what do we need to sing to it to get the shields to go down and Ahura sings back the music that it plays right after that question is asked. So it mm-hmm. seems like the comet maybe can understand them. Interesting. Even yeah, though yeah. they can't totally understand the comet. Right. She sings it back and the shields drop and they get the emergency beam out. When we cut back up to the bridge, there's a little musical flourish in the score that mimics the same song that yeah. she was singing that I really liked. That was neat. That was a cool detail. Yeah. The shepherd does not believe this to be a neat moment, though. No, shepherd's, shepherd is M-A-D <laughs> about what just happened. You continue to interfere. Well, technically... You were warned. This is like a, like, I'm about to drop the hammer on you moment. All right, no more Mr. Nice Shepherd, <laughs> because he starts licking shots at them. Bangers get dropped. They are, you know ducking and weaving but uh they're catching a lot of the shots and uh the shields are down pretty low at this point and Nunyan Singh is like hey this would be the time to bug out and not keep fighting this guy because we're gonna lose this is what ship to ship combat looks like in new star trek and i think this is maybe the purest expression of it like we get evasive maneuvers here and this is straight out of a star trek online game the ship is moving dynamically it's not just two static ships trading fire like yeah. dueling pistol arrows in uh <laughs> in olden times like this is really really fun and dynamic looking yeah they talked to her about like hey so can you translate the the song language so that we can like send some stuff to the the thing to get it to mm-hmm. get out of the way of the planet and then we can get out of here. And she's like, I, like it's going to take days, if not weeks to translate this whole language. I don't know how to do that. And they're like, well, we have less than one hour before the comet will impact Persephone three. You might want to start now. <laughs> we're going to need you to do something. Yeah. Yeah. They're just getting the shit slapped out of them. Yeah. By these shepherds. But Spock has another idea, an idea that he expresses the large majority of in an elliptical edit. <laughs> he, he suggests, what if the comet moved itself? And we cut back after he has explained all of uh, the intricacies of his idea to the captain trying to motivate Ortegas to demonstrate her skills of a pilot, show off those sick moves. And Ortegas has evasive maneuvers named after themselves <laughs> that's fun you know you're a pilot on a new star trek show when you've got shaved sides yeah you really, you really do i wonder if that's an academy thing like when you go to flight school at starfleet academy like you got to shave your sides yeah we're fighter jacks we shave sides yeah this is another fun exterior shot the enterprise chases down the comet and uses it as a downrange target so that yeah. the shepherd doesn't want to accidentally hit it. If they were a bad shepherd, Ben, they wouldn't mm. give a shit about what was downrange. They just open fire. Right. Yeah. If the shepherd had been trained by like the LA Sheriff's Department. <laughs> so you you said the thing that I was just going to allow to be subtle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a subtle man, Adam. Uh-huh. As effect shots go, this is. Like cinematic, it's thrown around a lot on TV, but this is like 
straight out of a movie theater quality of cinematography here. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. So they get in front of the comet and go to all stop and they're like, cool, well, now it's bearing down on us <laughs> and they hail their surrender to the shepherds and they're like, cool, uh, we surrender. Please get us out of here. And the shepherd's like, fuck you. I'm not doing anything. And Pike is like, well, if you don't do anything, it's going to hit us. Our warp core will go critical and Mohanit will be uh, no Mohanit. <laughs> <laughs> This is the moment where Pike like basically turns to camera, <laughs> absorbing the full power of his own quip. Yeah, yeah. What we didn't know because the camera cut away while Spock was talking about it was that they left Spock behind in a shuttle. And now the shuttle has turned itself into a heating element and is like unzipping a big chunk of the comet, like melting the ice between this chunk and the remainder of the comet calving it off the sublimation is nudging the comet off course and for the record we're not actually touching it you know they did that thing where they put their hands around the comet's face and said i'm not touching you right but that chunk of ice goes down and kind of grazes the atmosphere of the planet and leaves a whole lot of melted water in it another great effect shot this comet skipping off of the atmosphere gorgeous looked really cool yeah This is a thing that I read about in, I think it's Red Mars or some book I read where they're like terraforming Mars and they bring a bunch of icy rocks from the asteroid belt and just like cruise them through the atmosphere of Mars to like add water to the planetary system. And uh, it was really cool to see it depicted in in a thing. On the bridge, they can hear Spock laughing over comps. Spock likes to have fun. Yeah. He's just a fun loving guy. What do you make of the visual language of an empty Spock seat? Like that points fairly directly to empty seat Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Like I love that that's a thing that Spock does now canonically is (laughs) we whip over to a seat and it's not there and it means he's doing something heroic. Yeah. Spock has left the bridge to needs of the many something. Yeah. Where are you going with those big gloves, Spock? He's also no slouch in the piloting department, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, he's doing great. Down on the surface of the planet, much like the end of Dune, it starts to rain in the desert. Oh, he is the Kwisatz Haderach. This is going to be a real problem for them. Like, they they celebrate in the moment, but yikes. These people don't have rain slicker technology. No, and their pasta is starting to get wet. What do you think is going to happen to their clothing? Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. We get back under their grass-roofed huts. God, this lead shepherd is such an asshole. He's like, now you have witnessed how great our religion is. (laughs) Ye of little faith. (laughs) We take the credit for the good things and blame everything else for the bad things. You have to respect it, right? And Pike is like extremely sarcastic in agreeing with him. (laughs) You're right. We... Witnessed a miracle. Yeah. But, uh, you know, good to part ways as friends. Yeah. They didn't end their encounter with the shepherds as people at war with each other. As is Starfleet's way, they don't tail the comet with a ship. They don't tail the shepherd ship with a ship. They, like the whale probe from the fourth Star Trek movie, they just let it go. Yeah, let's just let it go. Come on. To wreak havoc some other day. And, uh... They repair to the observation lounge for another McLaughlin group. Issue two. Where Cadet Uhura is presenting some interesting findings to number one, Spock and the captain. Right. She's like, did you guys happen to notice how white the comet was? You know, that means it's a precog, don't you? (laughs) Very pale, a very high albedo on that comet. Yeah. You're suggesting the comet had foreknowledge of future events? I thought this was really going to be triggering to Pike, the idea that the comet knew its fate would happen, and it does not have this effect on Pike at all. No, I mean, it's a humbling moment, because it's kind of eerie that the the comet seemed to anticipate the exact chunk of ice that Spock broke off that would give life to this planet and potentially accelerate its development of its uh, intelligent species. And uh, instead of having a meltdown or going into a dark reflective mode, 
Pike is like, wow, I guess we should have had a little bit more faith all along. Faith of the heart. <laughs> yeah, uh, he didn't want to be left out of the singing in this episode. <laughs> Una's like, what are you doing? Like, you weren't even there. <laughs> what are you singing for? Yeah. After the meeting, Spock and Ahura walking down the hallway, Spock kind of add a girl to his cadet saying like, hey, you really are cut out for Starfleet. Even if it's not necessarily what you want to do, we feel lucky to have you around here. You're, you're good. You're good, kiddo. You saved your own life. Doesn't that mean you belong here? Nicely done. <laughs> Hope you like that seat. Mm-hmm. You'll be in it for a long time. I feel like the most character growth in this episode has been Spock's getting progressively better at his pep talks. Yeah, definitely. Sure feels like he has the most dialogue. Yeah. We get a button on the episode in Pike's quarters, and as cool as these quarters were for the party, it is revealed that he also has a booth in his quarters where he and Una are sitting. Is this his quarters, though? I thought I thought this might be the um, observation lounge, because... Oh, man. I mean, <laughs> it might be better for everyone if it is the observation lounge, because if he has an L-shaped bar table and a kitchen yeah. and a booth, <laughs> I think it would start to affect morale in the rest of yeah. the ship. The captain is living like a fucking sultan, and the rest of us are in bunks in the hallway. God, this booth is kick-ass. Give me a booth, man. Yeah. Yeah, have your own little booth. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you love a booth. Sure do. Una's there uh, to play counselor. Yeah. Much like she has for the entire two episodes of this series so far. We learned a lot about premonitions today on the show. Yeah. Pike, what if you are like the comet? Yeah. Who can see their future, possibly change what happens? Maybe it's a good thing that you know that if you got to go out, you're going to go out doing something really cool and heroic, saving those kids. Yeah. Something to look forward to in a way. Maybe you should focus a little bit less on your own sense of trauma visiting upon you that you can't change and maybe more on uh, making it rain like the comet did on that planet, you know? <laughs> maybe be happier if you made it rain a little more. And she pushes a button on a boombox. And, and there's a stripper pole. <laughs> Pike, what don't you have in your quarters? Cherry pie starts playing. <laughs> there's a button on this button. There's a button on the button where Pike looks up the photos of a bunch of children. Oh, man. You do not want anyone walking in on you when you got these tabs open, Captain Pike. You're just sitting back with some brown liquor looking at pictures of kids that aren't yours. And what's going on here seems pretty pervy, doesn't it? It's amazing to think about, like, there's a fucking kid on a tricycle in one of these shots. Like, t in 10 years, they're going to be a cadet? How young... Like, is it like a first job situation where you can be a cadet at 15 and a half? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, Wesley certainly was like gunning for that, right? Yeah. What do you think it means? Like, do you think Pike is going to reach out or do you think he's just going to keep tabs on? Mm, keep tabs open in his browser. <laughs> keep tabs on tabs. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's an interesting setup because I feel like the... Monster, the weakness of this show feels very well established by episode two, but the kind of ongoing, how is Pike going to grapple with the knowledge of his future thing yeah. has been worked into both stories in an interesting way. So I, I wonder how much of like the whole season will be about that and how much that will just be a thing about his character that kind of arises from time to time going forward. Yeah, yeah. But uh, very interesting, very interesting episode. Did you like the episode, Adam? I really did. And I like that we are so far receiving what we've been promised, which is a kind of non-serialized version of Star Trek in the classic sense. What is serialized about it is this deep B or C story where Pike is grappling with his fate. Yeah. Kind of running in the background. I like that this was not your typical, it's a space body that's actually a live story like Tin Man. Tin Man. This was a, a new spin on an old favorite. And it was done in a surprising way that kept me guessing the whole time. It was visually 
really astounding. I really like the episode, and and this feels like a really good start. It's a small sample size, but two episodes in, I'm really liking Strange New Worlds. What about you? I am too. I think that maybe if I had one criticism of the episode, the villain or... I mean, not villain, but the shepherd had the potential to be like a really maddening mm-hmm. antagonist, like won't listen to reason. And I feel like he kind of came and went as was convenient for the plot. Like yeah. he didn't just want to blow them out of the sky, which I feel like if you were an outraged religious person who was watching their holy site get desecrated, that might be your first and last reaction. But I don't need him to be like a a brutal heavy that we then have to carry a bunch of resentment about for the rest of our time with Strange New Worlds. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean. He couldn't have been heavy enough to where you couldn't leave him behind at the end of the ep. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. But yeah, I really liked it. And I'm really liking getting to know these characters. I loved getting an Uhura episode as episode two. She is a character that I've always wanted to know more about. And I feel like we have a great opportunity to get to know a more fleshed out version of her in this series. Yeah, it feels like we're well on our way to filling out the stories of the bridge crew in a way that has taken many seasons on Discovery to do the same. So yeah, uh, good job by this show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Adam, do you want to see if there are any good Priority One messages in the inbox? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. It will surprise no one to learn that our first priority one message is from Defested. Defested! It's to Ben, Adam, and all FODs at the Midwest shows. You might ask how I ended up here, sitting at my third greatest Gen Con in four days. Incredible! All Midwest shows everywhere. Why would I drive 1,000 miles for dick and fart jokes? Well... It's because this show is awesome. I do not regret these decisions, at least not yet. Let's see how the Minneapolis show goes before Hugh can cast final judgment. <laughs> I love Defested. I love that Defested wrote this P1 in the form of a hostage video. Like, yeah. I, my name is Defested. I have uh, I've traveled of my own volition to several Greatest Gen shows. I do not regret these decisions. Here is today's newspaper. <laughs> Yeah. Divested gave us a Jenga set, a 3D printed isolinear Jenga set. That they hand painted. Yeah. All of the bricks of. And uh, after seeing Divested at both the Chicago and Milwaukee show, we were like, hey, if you want to be on the list for the Minneapolis show, we'll put you on it. It's crazy how different the show is from those first Midwest shows. Like, I know. the show's changed a lot. It really has, yeah. Wow, thanks for getting a P1 and coming to all three of those shows to festive. Yeah, you rule. Ben, our second Priority One message is from Andy K. It's to Ben and Adam. That's us. The message goes like this. Hey, guys, just wanted to say thanks for the extra pods covering Discovery and Picard at the same time. Here's some scarfs. Love the show. You brighten my day every episode. Chris Brenner dropped for no reason. I'm Chris Brenner. Brenner Information Systems. You know, interface, operations, net access, channel 90. That Chris Brenner. <laughs> wow. Calling the Chris Brenner drop for no reason. I like it. Yeah. One of the best drops. Thank you, Andy K. That's really sweet of you. Glad we're brightening your day. Yeah. Your day must be dim as hell if this brightens it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Andy, you should really think about this nice thing you did. (laughs) If you'd like to think about doing a nice thing, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jembutron and set up a P1 today. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? Larkin. I think I'm going to give it to Nurse Chapel Mm. for this one. She just seemed like she was having the most fun. She's going to be at the top of the charts, I bet, by the time the season's up. She's also at that party. She's like a background character at the party. So she gets to party and she gets to needle people. Was Mabenga at the party? Oh, uh, I don't think he was. What's up with that? I guess you need some doctor on duty, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think also um, 
Mabenga probably a character that you don't want to just throw on screen if he's not going to get lines because <laughs> yeah, because there's a patter there that that yeah. you want. Yeah, yeah, right. And and Mabenga at a party with Pike, you know, is going to be awesome yeah. once we get to see that. Going to be pretty lit. Yeah. But uh, yeah, very fun performance by Jess Bush in this episode, and I'm looking forward to more with her. Yeah, me too. Good start. How about you, Adam? I, I'm compelled to make my Edward Larkin the shepherd. Hmm. I just like that kind of confidence shattered, and then I guess put together. <laughs> to the, according to the shepherd, everything worked according to plan, but mm-hmm. the shepherd doesn't know how dumb the shepherd is. Right, yeah. and that to me is a is also a quality of Edward Larkin. Yeah, like Delman does not know it. Shepard's gonna fly that ship back home, or like protect a different comet, or whatever, or maybe even stick around escorting this one, thinking that everything is fine. Mohanid is my shepherd; I shall not want. Yeah, he maketh me to crash my asteroid into green planets. <laughs> what a waste of tech. Yeah. And ability. You got this giant awesome ship. All you're doing is just escort duty. This is like <laughs> the religious equivalent of the hood. Just yeah. escorting yeah. comets back and forth across the galaxy. And predictably, the religious equivalent of the hood sucks ass yeah. <laughs> compared to the non-religious equivalent. Yeah, worst boss I ever had. <laughs> no fun. <laughs> Wow. Well, uh, we have had a great time reviewing this episode of Strange New Worlds. Listen to the credits for some information about the next app, which we got coming up next week. Uh, in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. We out. The Greatest Discovery is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Next up on Star Trek Strange New Worlds, it's episode three called Ghosts of Illyria. The USS Enterprise encounters a contagion that ravages the ship. One by one, the entire crew is incapacitated, except for number one, who must now confront a secret she's been hiding as she races to find a cure. As always, we want to say thank you to Adam Ragusia, who composed all of the original music that you hear on this show. He's got a great podcast and a YouTube cooking channel that you should go get subscribed to. And thanks also to the card daddy, Bill Tilly, who handles the social media for Uxbridge Shimoda. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Greatest Trek and use the hashtag Greatest Discovery to talk about the show online. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more of The Greatest Discovery. Org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.